Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. From KQED. I'm Alan Montecilio, in for Erica Cruz Guevara, and welcome to the Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Over the weekend, an 18 year old white man drove to a predominantly black part of Buffalo, New York. He walked into a supermarket, wielding a gun with the N word written on it, and shot 13 people. Ten of them have died. It's just the latest example of violence motivated by racism extremism, and conspiracy theories. Here in the Bay Area, we actually don't have to look very far to find the threat of extremist violence. It's right here where we live. I think now we attack Democrats, their offices, etc. Molotov cocktails and gasoline. Last year, two men, one from Napa and one from Vallejo, were arrested. They've been accused of plotting to blow up the California Democratic Party headquarters in Sacramento. I'll leave an envelope with our demands and intentions, basically saying we declare war on the Democratic Party and all traitors to the Republic. So today on the show, we're going to dig into that story and learn how this threat was hiding in plain sight. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Julie, I'll start with you. What can you tell me about Ian Rogers? Who is he? Ian Rogers most recently lived uh, in Napa. This is Julie Small. She's a reporter with KQED. She worked on this story with fellow KQED reporter Alex Hall. He grew up in Sonoma, and he opened his own auto repair shop, British Auto Repair of the Napa Valley, about 16 years ago, and was serving clients who, uh, you know, own British cars, (laughs) Rolls-Royce, Land Rovers was his specialty. Um, He was recently married. He has a son, a teenage son, and a teenage stepson, and, um, you know, he was a larger-than-life character. He didn't really, you know, he, people who knew him knew that he liked to work out, knew that he loved guns, knew that he bought a lot of guns, liked to go shooting, liked to lift weights, you know, and that he was a avid, you know, Trump supporter, and he was very upfront about that. He didn't really make much effort to hide who he was or how he felt. And Alex, I know that auto repair shop is where Ian met Jared Copeland. Uh, Tell me a little bit about him. 
Jared Copeland worked as a mechanic at Ian Rogers um, Auto Repair Shop in Napa starting in 2011. And he left in late 2013 um, when he enlisted in in the Army. I talked to one family member who who knows Jared Copeland um, pretty well. Um, who talked a lot about, you know, his military history, you know, just the last 10 years of his life being in the military, deserting the army, being arrested for desertion, and um, eventually being discharged, receiving an other than honorable discharge. Copeland lived for some time with his in-laws in a three-bedroom house in North Vallejo with his wife and in-laws, then um, moved to Sacramento. Most of the people that I've talked to who know Jared Copeland use words like quiet, laid back, chill uh, to describe him. Um, A lot of people told me that, you know, he's friendly, um, but not a very outgoing person. A lot of people said that, that they saw Ian and Jared working out together at the gym, but that not a lot of people knew Jared on a deeper level in the way that it seems like they knew Ian. It seemed like he had uh, the stronger personality of the two, um, whereas Jared Copeland seemed like someone who didn't draw a ton of attention to himself. One thing that uh, Jared Copeland's cousin told me was that, um, you know, he's the kind of person that you could confide in. If you wanted to share something with him that you didn't want anyone else to know, you know, he's the kind of person that you could tell and and he would he would keep that secret for you. What do we know about uh, Rogers and Copeland's ties to you know, white supremacist groups or anti-government groups, things like that, before they actually plotted to bomb you know, the state Democratic Party headquarters? Were there any warning signs that we now know about? Our understanding is that Copeland, at least, that they were part of this Zone 4 or Bay Area zone of members of 3UP. Three Up is a California offshoot of the Three Percenter Movement, and Three Percenter Movement is about uh, people who believe that during the American Revolutionary War, it was only three percent of uh, the colonists who actually rose up against the British and defeated them. So that's been refuted as not factually correct, but the point is that they believe that you know they are the defenders of the United States and that they are willing to take up arms and do whatever is necessary to protect this country if they feel that that there's an invasion or even if they feel that like in this case <laughs> I would say they felt that the the election had been stolen by the Democrats. It was obvious that they had a lot of guns especially with Ian Rogers he wasn't hiding it but he was like post videos of himself firing a machine gun. So there, there were a lot of clues that were, you know, lying and you know, hiding in plain sight. So Alex, how and when did these two go from being, you know, part of this group or affiliated with this group to allegedly planning to bomb the Democratic Party headquarters in Sacramento? I know that there are also uh, text messages that are part of Uh, the court records. Was there a tipping point? Most of what the government has disclosed about their communications starts around 
Thanksgiving of 2020. So this is, you know, shortly after Biden is declared winner of the 2020 presidential election. They expressed a lot of outrage at the outcome of the election, the election results. You know, there's a lot of venting and complaining and criticizing um, prominent Democratic figures and just the left in general. Rogers, I think now we attack Democrats, their offices, etc. Molotov cocktails and gasoline. Um, and then as the days go on, there's more of the, the specificity of the plans. Rogers, sent link to the address of the California Democratic Party office. Copeland, right next to CHP. Gotta be cautious. Rogers, only takes three minutes. Take a brick, break a window, pour gas in, and light. And there's just a lot of back and forth, kind of bragging about what they could do. Rogers, scare the whole country. Can you imagine CNN covering this? I'll leave an envelope with our demands and intentions, basically saying we declare war on the Democratic Party and all traitors to the Republic. Copeland, that's some expendable stuff. Rogers, we need to send a message. Yep, I agree. Start a movement. After the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, didn't succeed in its aim to stop the, uh, you know, um, Joe Biden from becoming the next president of the United States. And so at this point, um, they're pretty sure they want to do something. He asked Copeland, are you ready to leave your wife? Rogers, what I'm talking about, we probably will die, unfortunately. Copeland, she was crying yesterday and said to me, please don't leave me. I don't know what to do without you. She knows how I run and she knows I will put myself in harm's way for what I believe in. You know, for friends and family who doubted that these guys had it in them, I mean, I think this section speaks to me about the level of their commitment and how they saw this as their duty as patriots, that they should be willing to give up their lives. So, Julie, we have these two guys, Ian Rogers, Jared Copeland, who are talking in increasing amounts of detail, it seems, about bombing the California Democratic Party headquarters But, you know, we also know that these two did not actually get a chance to carry out that plan. So how did they get caught? Even before they were discussing this plot, somebody who knew Ian Rogers warned the FBI about him. He said that his behavior had become increasingly explosive. He called him a maniac. He said he was deranged, maniac, you know, please arrest him. He is a danger to the public. And he sent... You know, all those publicly posted Facebook posts that Rogers had, you know, put online of him shooting the machine gun and posing with his guns and the different things that he said and and warned them, like, really. And I, I spoke to the tipster, was able to figure out who he was. And, you know, he was very traumatized by his interactions with Ian Rogers. He felt that his life was at risk, that there was a point at which Ian became so frustrated politically that he kept, you know, threatening out loud, I'm going to kill somebody, I'm going to kill somebody. So um, somebody who knows Ian Rogers sees this behavior. What did law enforcement do once they heard about this? What happened was they stopped Ian um, Rogers at a traffic stop. Then they served him with search warrants for his home and for his business. Um, And there they found a safe. And in the safe, they found guns and they found five 
pipe bombs, you know, brick-sized pipe bombs that were, like, ready to go that could have destroyed the whole building. They found a Nazi flag in, that, in, in the safe, and they found um, Nazi paraphernalia and books, lots of books about how to make your own explosives. Went to his house, they found more guns. They found guns, you know, sitting out in the open, loaded. They found guns. He had kept guns in his uh, RV as well. So by the end of the day, they had about 50 guns that they had collected. Many of them were illegal, illegally modified to become automatic or just flat out illegal machine guns. Ian Rogers was arrested on January 15th, 2021 for uh, illegal possession of guns um, and illegal possession of explosive devices. Also conspiracy to destroy a building. They had the evidence right there in hand. Alex, do we know how law enforcement connected uh, Ian Rogers to Jared Copeland? Because I know Jared Copeland was arrested later, right? So we know that when the FBI and Napa County sheriffs searched Rogers' business and home, that they found the record of these conversations that he had had with Copeland. It's not entirely clear why they waited six months to arrest Copeland. According to the court records, the day after Rogers was arrested, a friend texted Copeland an article about his arrest, and Copeland replied, do you think they look at our texts because we talked about some stuff. And so Copeland is also charged with conspiracy to destroy by fire or explosive, a building used in interstate commerce. And he's also facing a destruction of records and official proceedings charge for allegedly destroying evidence of his communication with Rogers. Julie, I want to move on to the some of the context of this. Uh, what do we know about the increase in, in domestic extremism, especially as it relates to, you know, white supremacist groups, anti-government groups. Um, what do we know about that? We know from the U.S. Department of Justice that the number of FBI investigations into suspected domestic violent extremists has more than doubled since the spring of 2020. We are seeing an increase in both the level of violence and the number of individual actors uh, since the summer of 2020. In California or just throughout the country? Both. So we spoke to uh, the special agent in charge of counterterrorism in the San Francisco field office of the FBI. Um, that agent's name is John Blair. There are people who are, are looking left and right and realizing that this is not necessarily the world we want to live in. They think they're getting more tips because not because more is going on necessarily, although that might be true, too, but also because more people are, are taking it seriously and saying, hey, I overheard this thing and then reporting it. From individuals who happen to be near people who are spewing the ideology and taking steps towards those violent acts, uh, saying, no, not not here, not on my turf, not around me. So I know you both talked with many people, uh, both on and off the record, who know Ian Rogers and Jared Copeland. What do they make of the fact that they have been arrested and are now facing some very serious uh, charges? Alex, I'll, I'll start with you on this. I think every person that I talked to was very surprised that Jared Copeland um, is facing these charges and is in federal custody. It just didn't sound like him. 
you know, I, I spoke with his cousin, Novice Dublin in Mayfield, Kentucky, um, where uh, Jared Copeland is from. And he just said that, you know, he wasn't the kind of kid growing up who was, you know, seemed like there were early signs of violence by any means. I mean, growing up, he wasn't the one that was out hunting and fishing and trying to figure out how to take 30 firecrackers to a pop bottle and make it blow up. That was the rest of us. You know, another individual that I spoke with um, was Jagra too. Um, he's the owner of Audio House in Napa, and he used to work out at the same gym as them and would see them lifting weights together and, you know, spotting each other and said, you know, they seem like really good friends. And he would talk to them. He's Indian, and he said that um, he never got the impression that Rogers or Copeland were racist in any way, that they treated him like any any old guy is how he described it. And um, he was just completely shocked that authorities found, you know, some of the Nazi paraphernalia, some of this other stuff at Rogers' business. And Julie, I know you spoke with Ian Rogers' wife. What, what did she say? Ian Rogers' wife is Yulia Rogers. Everybody who knows him, his family and his friends, they know what it's man it is. He never was, like, mean or trying to do something bad to another people. She said, you know, if I read all the things that have been written about my husband, I, I too might think he was a bad guy. That, you know, this focus on all these weapons, he's been collecting them for 20 years, that it was his passion and his hobby, but not that he was about to go out and use all that stuff. It's just ridiculous for me <laughs> because I knew him and I know that he, he never was going to do it. He, she just thinks, you know, he, you know, he sometimes drank and uh, he probably texted his friends when he was drunk and wrote some stupid stuff, but he was never going to do it. Another person I spoke to was somebody who knew that Ian Rogers pretty well over a decade and had socialized with him and had a business relationship with him. And he didn't really know about the details of the text messages. So he was basically going on what he did know, which was his relationship with this person, you know, as being like, he's a great guy. He's a stand-up guy in the community. You know, he has got this, he has so much to lose. He had a great business. He was doing well. He had a new wife. He had his kids. But then when I pushed and said, well, did you read the text messages that were sent? He, he hadn't. And he didn't want to, you know, that's the sense that I got. Uh, he and another, and also uh, uh, Ian Rogers' wife both chalked it up to a drunken rant. And that has been also the defense that Ian Rogers himself has said uh, was just drunk. It was just drunken banter, but, you know, um, they're not ready to even think of them that way. We're talking about this in a context where domestic extremism, white supremacist extremism, um, anti-government extremism is, um, you know, on the rise in, in America. How are you thinking about this story just in the context of, of, you know, all these things that are going on? You know, how how does this tie into the, the story in Buffalo, but also just this this bigger this bigger picture? Um, Alex, can I start with you on that? It made me think of something that John Blair told us um, when we spoke with him, which is that whenever an attack takes place, it's because the FBI or society in combination with the FBI uh, failed to prevent it. 
Um, and so I think it points to this really interesting spot that um, federal investigators, federal prosecutors are in right now where, you know, we're coming off of um, a little more than a year after the January 6th insurrection. Obviously, this is at top of mind for a lot of people. Um, the FBI said that they have more than doubled their caseload of investigations into domestic violent extremists since spring of 2020. And there's obviously a lot of pressure to make sure that attacks like this don't happen. But of course, they're in this really interesting um, legal territory where, you know, you have to respect people's constitutionally protected rights to voice their opinions. And there's just a lot of um, tricky territory to navigate um, for the FBI um, publicly and also in these investigations that they're carrying out that we don't really know a lot about until something either does happen or um, a plot is foiled, like in the case of Rogers and Copeland. It's just really, I don't know, it's it's hard because this is also, I mean, these two guys are, are you know, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of the legal system, but, you know, they're in the Bay Area, you know, this, you know, white supremacy and domestic extremism are here in the Bay Area as, as you know, in the, you know, air quotes, liberal Bay Area, you know, as well. Sometimes people are telling us they're racist, they're <laughs> violent, and we should listen to them when they put it out there like that. And this is prevalent. This is not new. And you go a little bit outside the Bay Area and you're going to find this is dominant in people's thinking. There's a dominant way of looking at the world. Julie, Alex, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. Ian Rogers and Jared Copeland are currently incarcerated at Santa Rita Jail in Dublin. Their lawyers have been negotiating plea deals for months now, but we actually have no idea when that might be finalized. Thanks to Julie Small and Alex Hall, reporters for KQED. This conversation was cut down by Erica Cruz Guevara. Maria Esquinka added the audio and the music. The voiceovers you heard were by Paul Lancor and Dan Brecky. Before we go, I have an episode recommendation for you all. To be honest, this is a really, really hard topic emotionally for, for me, for the team. It's scary to think about just how many people in America feel emboldened by racism and conspiracy theories to commit real-world acts of violence. Um, but it's also worth noting, I think, how many powerful people have encouraged this and continue to do so. So I think actually quite often about an episode we did right after the insurrection on January 6, 2021. Um, in it, we talk with Marisa Lagos about the elected Republicans right here in California who enabled that attack. Many of them are now up for re-election this year and are actually hoping that they'll be back in power after the midterms in November. So we'll leave a link to that episode in our show notes as well. The Bay is a production of KQED Public Media in San Francisco. I'm Alan Montecilio. Thanks for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. 
Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.